Welcome to the Codifier podcast. Codifier is a podcast about emerging trends and technologies with the aim to create bite-sized entertaining content for everyone from software developers to sales gurus to even your parents so that they can stay clued in and techno-savvy in today's ever-changing world. And I'm your host, Steve Jaguer. Welcome to episode one of Codifier, the inaugural episode. Let's hope there are many more to come. It was really tough to try and choose a a technology for this first episode, something that would capture the imagination, something that would properly represent Codifier, something that was current and relevant and in the media. Well, if you read the title of this podcast, and I'm certain you have if you've downloaded it, you will know that the subject of our very first podcast is none other than Bitcoin. Yes, Bitcoin is a strange and mysterious subject matter in technology. Is it a currency? Is it a commodity? No one seems to be able to understand what exactly it is, whether it has any value. Is it in a bubble? Does it make sense? Or is it complete nonsense? So I'll start talking about my version, if you will, of Bitcoin with an anecdote. I'm in a taxi a few weeks ago. I'm with my friend Sasha. It's about three in the morning. We'd had a few beers, it's fair to say. And we start talking to the taxi driver about Bitcoin. And I have no idea how this started. But Sasha came in first saying that it was a huge waste of time. It wasn't really worth anything. Anyone who invests in Bitcoin was a fool and should be thrown out of the taxi at high speed. That would be me uh, because I was pro Bitcoin. Now, I may be paraphrasing and taking liberties, but the message was clear. He wasn't pro Bitcoin. And what's interesting about that, without really going into what was said after that, was that We had opposing opinions on the subject, as so many people in technology do today, and yet we have similar backgrounds and education, yet we can't decide if Bitcoin makes sense or not. Now, that's probably a good time to go in and describe at a very high level what Bitcoin exactly is. Now, there are loads of dedicated podcasts and articles out there, so feel free to dig a bit deeper into what Bitcoin is. But first, I think... It helped me to understand Bitcoin to first understand currency. And until the crypto or digital currencies, which is what Bitcoin is, came along, there were largely really only two types. There were commodities and fiat money. Commodities make sense. Gold is a commodity because while it can be traded like money, it has an intrinsic value beyond that. The same can be said for oil or silver. And the other type of money, the one we use every day, is called fiat money. And that's not to be confused with the Italian cheap chic cars. Fiat money is money that has no intrinsic value, but has value because the government decreed that it does for that purpose. The word fiat is actually Latin for the word or phrase, it shall be. It's money because we said so, and that's why it's money. It's really just paper and and metal in its solid form and just ones and zeros in the bank. It's symbolic. So I've mentioned the word bank, haven't I? And that is how Bitcoin started. Back in 2009, or just beforehand, there was a mysterious guy or girl, for all we know, called Satoshi Nakamoto. And I'll get into why it's mysterious. Uh, He or she offered up a clever paper outlining the issues that we now have with modern banks. Uh, And it's not just that they're greedy bastards. It's the centralization of it all the difficulty in attaining third-party trust. Now, he proposed a mechanism of cryptographically proving trust and doing that via a distributed network, essentially allowing people to conduct transactions directly with each other. 
Now, the mechanism he, he used to make this happen was called a blockchain, which is just a very practical way of executing the idea. Now, a blockchain is very simply a ledger, like what a bookkeeper would, would keep. Now, without getting into too many weeds about what a blockchain is, it's pretty sufficient to say that it's a way of cryptographically uh, recording transactions in such a way that they are timestamped and they can never be changed. So the idea of cooking the books, it's impossible with a blockchain-style le ledger. So to quickly recap what exactly that means, uh, if you add a distributed trust system with an uncookable distributed bookkeeper, it kind of means you have the backbone to create a highly secure currency exchange model free from any given nation or centralized bank. So, hey, power to the people, you know, it's pretty cool, but how is this a coin? That was what I asked myself when I, I eventually understood what was going on. It, it doesn't make sense. It's more like a really cool bookkeeping system. So the next question we might ask ourselves is, how is this a coin, or perhaps better put? Show me the money! Jared, you better yell! Show me the money! That seemed like an appropriate clip for this particular section. How is Bitcoin money? How do you get some? Well, the Bitcoin is the digital reward for participating in the distributed network. Why would people help keep track of this cryptographically intense ledger if there wasn't something in it for them? So what's interesting about the Bitcoin ledger or blockchain is that in order for a page to go into the ledger and be considered complete, Everybody in the network is competing in a race to generate that signature or that approval for the block before it goes into the chain. Essentially, if they don't all agree, it's not considered to be uh, it's not considered to be correct, and it doesn't go into the blockchain, which is which is pretty cool. And that that lends itself to the you can't cook the books statement. Now, to calculate that complex digital signature takes a heap ton of computing power and electricity. And as a result, those who are contributing are known as miners, which is interesting because that's a reference to gold as an early commodity that took also a lot of work to acquire. Once the calculation of that signature is complete, everyone agrees they are rewarded with a certain quantity of Bitcoin. And that's how money becomes part of the equation. So once we understand that Bitcoin is a reward for contributing to the network that manages transactions, yeah, okay, that makes sense. People are getting paid in Bitcoin. That's how Bitcoins exist. But what's odd is that how can you have Bitcoin transactions to add to the ledger before Bitcoins existed in order to pay people for Bitcoins? There's a chicken or egg scenario that I didn't quite understand. So it seems that Satoshi was a pretty smart person and created something called the Genesis block, which added 50 free Bitcoins kind of out of the box so that things could start from there. Now, that's the second time I've mentioned Satoshi Nakamoto, and I think it's probably worth now going into who this person is. Um, so back when the original paper which described the concept of Bitcoin was submitted, all Satoshi Nakamoto was was an email address who contributed to a group discussion called the Cyberpunks. This was back in the 2000s, but oddly, nobody ever met him or her. And after this all kicked off, the person or email just stopped communicating and disappeared. Very strange. And 
possibly for the best, because actually in the early days, the United States really liked to make examples of uh, innovators, especially ones who were creating technologies that disrupted and subverted government status quo and occasionally would imprison them. Uh, and so maybe it was a good idea to go silent. But even to this day, nobody actually knows who Satoshi Nakamoto is. We really got to figure out a better way to budget this family's future. Bitcoin. What? I don't know. There's some sound Bitcoin investment advice from none other than Peter Griffin. If you're enjoying episode one, great. Why not go to the Facebook page? It's facebook.com slash codifier or our Twitter account, twitter.com slash codifier and Follow us on either one of those. Additionally, there is a codifier.com website. So if there's anything I'm saying during the podcast that's interesting, I do try and document it all down into a nice blog article there so you can revisit some of the content in your own time. So thanks for listening and let's get back to the show. Okay, let's just do a quick recap. Bitcoin is a digital currency which is generated by a huge network of distributed computers known as miners that keep track of an electronic ledger, known as a blockchain, which is cryptographically guarded from tampering or hacking. Got it? Excellent. So, now I'll return to that drunken Bitcoin argument I had on the taxi. Does Bitcoin have any value, and should anybody put any investment there? We're now about eight years since the humble beginnings uh, in 2009, when Bitcoin first generated that block. And at the current value of, well, let me just check my, my phone and let you know, because it changes relatively quickly, about $5,800 per Bitcoin. It would be great to have some of that now, wouldn't it? They started off being worth about 0.0001 US dollars. And that was, I think, in June 2009 when it first all started. Uh, and that I, I think that makes sense. When a commodity first starts, what's it worth? I mean, do you think the first person who struck gold instantly decided this is worth a fortune? I mean, I would imagine gold went likely went through a similar process of determining its rarity, gaining acceptance, and becoming a commodity that was commonly used by the global community. So you might now be thinking 0.0001 US dollar per Bitcoin going all the way up to $5,800 per Bitcoin over eight years. That's a bit of a jump. And yeah, it is. And there's a great story around that about the first, well, one of the first purchases with Bitcoin back in 2010. I don't know how true this is, but apparently two Papa John's pizzas, other pizza establishments are available, were purchased by Laszlo Hanyech. I could be mispronouncing that name from another Bitcoin enthusiast for, wait for it, 10,000 Bitcoin. That would be worth about $60 million today. I hope that pizza was good. It might taste a little sour right now. I guess the reality is people who throw money around like that, I hope that person has a lot of money and that doesn't hurt as much as it sounds like it might. Coming back to the question about why does Bitcoin have any value at all? It's a little bit like the notion of the fiat currency or dollars where the government says a banknote is worth X. So it is. In the case of Bitcoin, it's a combination of supply and demand, a little bit like gold with the distributed network that controls it and uses it 
deciding in consensus that it's worth something, and so it is. As it's designed as a decentralized currency, tracked via a decentralized ledger, the determination of value is also, of course, decentralized. It's not too crazy an idea to see why it does have value, though, not just because it's a great way of storing value uh, as a currency, but it's also effectively sticking it to the man, and people really do like to stick it to the man. Now, outside, of course, of just sticking it to the man, there are actual reasons why it should have value. Now, it's worth noting that the algorithm for issuing Bitcoin rewards is capped. Only 21 million Bitcoins can ever exist, so that actually kind of completes an equation that describes a viable currency. A viable currency must have durability, portability, divisibility, uniformity, limited supply, and of course, finally, acceptability. And as more time passes, Bitcoin fits the bill, pun intended, for all of these requirements. And that's, that's essentially why its value, although a little bit volatile at the moment, is present. Now, there's one aspect of Bitcoin which makes the news more than just about anything else and is kind of that elephant in the room, and that is Bitcoin's association with the dark web. Scary part of the internet that it kind of makes the news a lot. It's largely misunderstood, but it's very much associated with its infamous original marketplace, the Silk Road, a.k.a. the bad guy Amazon, where you could purchase anything from drugs for to hackers for hire to apparently even an assassination. Uh, yes, assassins can be early adopters of technology too. All of this being paid for in Bitcoin, and this kind of gave Bitcoin a bit of a bad reputation. What's really interesting about Bitcoin is that because it is decentralized, and let's call it bank-free for now, and it's heavily encrypted, and it's validated by a distributed network, that actually means that it's incredibly private. And of course, the benefits of that privacy, that privacy were being surreptitiously employed for new and exciting uh, crime. <laughs> Let's just say it. Uh, it's, it was kind of inevitable. One of Bitcoin's founding fathers, Nick Zabo, uh, who is also suspected to potentially be the founder of Satoshi Nakamoto, he got in a little bit of legal hot water in the early days simply by selling Bitcoin to somebody who eventually used it for illegal transactions. Now, that might seem justified, but let's draw a comparison between Bitcoin and its closest rival in the currency crime spectrum, uh, cash. Remember cash, that uh, fiat traditional currency used by old school drug lords, organized crime and extortionists? Yeah, all the same things that Bitcoin is criticized for, cash was also very guilty of. Cash is pretty close to anonymous as well because you can use it to buy all sorts of terrible things. If we were all locked up because the money we used for buying stuff eventually ended up becoming part of some criminal activity, there would not be a whole lot of free people left. Now, we're getting close to the end and I think it's worth getting into some of the more advanced areas of Bitcoin and specifically how Bitcoin and other digital currencies are disrupting banking. If that isn't clear already, of course. If you've noticed any banking trends lately, it's been to actually eliminate cash and move to card-only transactions. Contactless payment has been a great innovation in this direction. Quite simply, data is control. Control is power. Power is money. If banks can move 
even simple transactions to work just electronically, just think of how much data that provides them. I mean, far more detailed spending habits is just the beginning of what that actually represents. Now, unfortunately for banks, Bitcoin's decentralized model brings together digital-only transactions in a peer-to-peer way. That means banks no longer reap the transaction fee benefits for being the intermediary, nor the vast buyer trend data, and that's one big expensive hiccup for them. Naturally, as a reaction, banks and governments are retaliating with regulations, litigation, bureaucracy, what they do best, and trying somehow to reestablish themselves as a key player in this new cryptocurrency area. So we're going to have to wait and see how that all plays out. So I've dated this episode 2017 for a reason, and that's because Bitcoin changes so fast. I almost feel like I could do an episode next year called Bitcoin 2018, and I'd have more to say about it. I mean, in 2017, we've entered into a phase of Bitcoin where there are many other innovators, entrepreneurs, and companies jumping onto the bandwagon and copying the idea. And why not? Bitcoin, at its heart, is just software. Even Burger King, yes, Burger King, in Russia, launched something called the Whopper Coin. And it's, it's working. It's kind of more of a, as a rewards program, but it's working. While many other versions are present and competing now for cryptocurrency supremacy, Bitcoin, it still remains on top, mainly because it was there first and it has the largest user base. It's very sticky. There are others. Litecoin and Ethereum are nibbling at its heels. Ethereum is a really rather clever and more advanced implementation of the same blockchain concept for managing something called smart contracts. Now, I'm not going to get into that. That's something for a whole other podcast. So in closing, Bitcoin, well, it's not perfect, but for the next two to three years or so, it will likely continue to flourish and mature. If you're looking for a retirement fund, you might not want to drop your life savings into Bitcoin. If you like a bit of anarchic techno investment fun, sure, Bitcoin does look pretty good for the medium term as speculators are predicting its value could settle somewhere between 40,000 per coin to 400,000 per coin to nothing per coin. That's a pretty big spread, but that's Bitcoin at the moment. If you want to get involved, you can use exchanges like Coinbase. uh, That has an extremely solid reputation for security. Yeah, lots of other equally good exchanges and investment platforms are available as well. So that's it for episode one, Bitcoin. And thank you for listening. By the way, I did manage to convince Sasha that Bitcoin wasn't so bad. This has been a Codifier podcast, and I've been Steve Jaguer. You can get a hold of me at codifier at gmail.com with comments and sponsorship opportunities. Hey, why not try, right? Alternatively, you could follow along at Twitter. Our handle is Codifier, and the same goes for facebook.com slash Codifier. See you next time.